Welcome to the Chew Brewer Stew Podcast. Every other Sunday, we'll release an episode of the podcast featuring an interview with a business owner in the food industry. From restaurants, to breweries, to bakeries, and everything in between. We ask them about their journey and the process of becoming a successful business owner in hopes of helping others to do the same. I'm Mike Curtin, and the podcast starts now. Welcome to the Chew Brewer Stew Podcast. My name is Michael Curtin. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do so, so you never miss another episode of the podcast. If you have any questions for me to ask in future interviews, you can direct message me right on the Chew Brewer Stew Instagram page. Thank you for joining us for episode number seven of Chew Brewer Stew. Today I sit down with Michael Fuquay of the Queensboro in Jackson Heights, New York. Michael breaks down how living close to his business is a blessing for him and his family, and how he doesn't feel the need for a break from it all, because deep down what he's doing doesn't really feel like work. So here it is, episode number seven. I hope you enjoy it. Hi guys, I'm Mike Curtin. This is Jude Brewer Stu. I'm here with Michael Fuquay, and we're here at the Queensboro in Jackson Heights. Mike, thank you for being with us. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the business? Sure. Uh, so I started working in restaurants when I was 19 years old, uh, working as a dishwasher uh, at, a, at a fine dining restaurant in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, high turnover kind of a place. The right. chef was a little bit of a madman, so very quickly became a busser and then a server without really knowing anything about how to do anything. Right. Uh, but you muddle your way through and you learn. And uh, so I, you know, all through undergrad and all through graduate school, I paid the bills working at fancy restaurants. Um, along the way, people would approach me, hey, you're doing a great job for us, we'd love for you to be a manager. Uh, but I had other plans in my life. I was going to graduate school, I was going to be a university professor, so I sho- shoved all those to the side. I was like, no, I'm gonna keep doing this. And frankly, you can make a lot more money as a waiter than you can as a restaurant manager, there's that as well. Right. Um, and at a certain point, I decided that I didn't want to be a university professor, that I didn't want to career in academia, and I decided that the next time somebody made me that offer, I would say yes and see where it led. And it led you here? It eventually led me here, yes. And uh, how old were you when you opened this spot? Uh, We've been open just over a year, so uh, I was, uh, I guess I was 47 years old when we opened. Okay. And what made you pick this area? So uh, I live here in Jackson Heights with my family. Uh, I've lived here for 14 years now. And uh, for the entire time that we've been here, uh, I felt the need for sort of a a family-friendly neighborhood restaurant that had sort of a modern ethos to it. Uh, Jackson Heights is famous for its ethnic foods. Uh, Just about any part of South America or Southeast Asia that you want to try, we've got lots and lots of you know, lots and lots of options. Uh, but in terms of a modern restaurant, uh, with a little more polish to it, nice environment, uh, modern professional bar, um, that's not really something we had here. So what I found is that if I was going out, you know, it's somebody's birthday and you want to go out with your friends, we were going out of the neighborhood. I was going to Brooklyn or I was going to Manhattan and I wasn't doing it here. And uh, that's, that's a little tedious. Uh, you know, when you have small kids, you're paying for a babysitter, you're paying for transportation. And it just, you know, we felt really strongly that, that this neighborhood needed and deserved a, a restaurant like this. And we hoped that a lot of other people would agree with us. So was it hard to deal with uh, family-wise when first opening? Was it a lot to balance? Um, well, 
you know, opening a restaurant is a lot of work. It takes a lot of time and attention, but opening this restaurant always also brought me a lot closer to home. So I might be working a lot of hours, but what I'm not doing is spending an hour commuting each way to Manhattan. Uh, when my kids get out of school in the afternoon, uh, I may have been here since nine in the morning, but they can come here after school and we can spend a couple of hours. I can help with homework, uh, or they can just, you know, daddy's available, right? I'm, I'm, right. I'm here, I'm nearby. Uh, my son can hop on his skateboard and shoot over here cause he's hungry, uh, and wants to see if he can get something to eat. Right. And so, um, the opportunities for quality family time really haven't been an issue. So what was the morale of your friends and family when you actually decided to open the Queen Pro? Well, people were excited about it. I've been talking about this for a long time. Um, and uh, and so people were excited that we were, you know, we finally had, had a plan and we were going to put it in place. Uh, so, yeah, people were super supportive. Was the morale of, um, well, not really the morale, but the acceptance of the neighborhood uh, warming as well? People in this neighborhood were really really excited uh, that something new was going to open. Um, you know, sort of, I live in this neighborhood. My chef lives in this neighborhood. Uh, we have a third partner who lives in this neighborhood. Okay. We've all been here for more than a decade. We all have families. So, you know, we know a lot of people in the neighborhood. And I think, you know, we felt like we had a pretty good finger on the pulse of what people wanted, what people were looking for. And even then, I was surprised by the outpouring of excitement from people in the area that we were opening a place like this in Jackson Heights. And, you know, we, like a lot of restaurants, we had a lot of delays on the road to opening. And so that builds up suspense, right? It's like, right. oh, what's happening? You know, why is it not open yet? What's going to happen? When's it going to happen? Uh, and so, you know, there was a lot of, lot of energy around that. And how did you go about finding the capital to open this restaurant? Um, a lot of it is self-raised, um, uh, myself and my partners all put money into the project. We have a lot of people in the neighborhood that invested small amounts. Uh, you know, a lot of restaurants, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, fancy place in Manhattan and it's somebody that's either got a lot of family money or it's somebody who's got, you know, a tech bro who wants to invest right, or right. whatever it is. Uh, usually the money for restaurants comes from big pots, right? People that already have a lot of money. Because it takes a lot to get one of these things off the ground. Right. This was very grassroots. Uh, there were a lot of people who, like, you know, they're putting in five or $10,000. Not because they're looking to make a lot of money off of a restaurant, but because they really believed in what it would mean to have a place like this in Jackson Heights. Um, and that, that was great. Yeah, that's, that sounds pretty awesome. Yeah. So what was the, one of the hardest adjustments for you from being in the food industry to be actually becoming an owner? Um, the hardest part for me was going through construction and all the permitting and all the things you have to do to get the restaurant open because I've been working in restaurants as a server or a bartender or a manager for a very long time. Uh, that's all stuff that I'm good at. Right. But dealing with contractors, figuring out uh, the intricacies of city code, Right, right. Um, trying to get a straight answer out of somebody from the Department of Health or Department of Buildings. Those are things that I didn't have any experience with and frankly, probably wasn't very good at, right? So those are things I had to learn. Right. Um, once we got the restaurant open, oh, this is easy, right? This is, a, this is stuff I know how to do. So then, you know, you roll up your sleeves and you get to work 
doing stuff that you already you know feel comfortable with. Right. Needless to say, the the business was flowing from the moment you opened. Uh, we had a lot of, there's a lot of pent up demand in the neighborhood. So we had a, um, we didn't have, you know, some restaurants open up and nobody knows they're there and right. it takes them a long time to find an audience. We had an audience from the very first day, uh, before we were even open, you know, we, we got our liquor license and we've been waiting forever for it. And so now we've got, you know, we've got to do a few more things before we can start serving food, but we're like, well, we can open the bar. So I ordered some, some wine and some beer and and we just sort of put out to the email list that hey we're gonna we're gonna have the bar open tonight. We were packed. Yeah. We were packed. We couldn't even serve. There were so many people. Wow. Uh, because people wanted to come in and check it out. Uh, so we got that. What has happened is um, when we first opened, our audience Jacksonite's a very diverse neighborhood, right? It's it's fairly densely populated, but there's lots of overlapping populations of people, all of whom use restaurants in different ways. So our initial sort of core group of people that were coming to the restaurant were middle-class families with children, right? That's me, that's both of my partners. So you had people with, with professional jobs in Manhattan, you had one or two kids who live in this neighborhood, well moved here, you know, within the last five to 15 years. And all those people use the restaurant in exactly the same way. They eat at exactly the same time. Right. Right. So we, what we would have is we would be packed and have a wait at 6 o'clock on a Friday night. By 8.30, we would be empty because all those people are home and they're doing bath right. and homework and bed. Um, and so we had to find lots of other audiences within the neighborhood to fill the restaurant, you know, to really use fully what we could do. Uh, you know, because all the parents with kids, that's good for one seating a night. But then what are you doing at, at 7.30 and 8.30 and 9.30, right? Where are you finding your bar customers from? Uh, and so we found other audiences, right? Uh, people that dine later, people that don't have children, uh, people that are coming. We're starting to get people that come from Astoria and Forest Hills and Sunnyside. Uh, and so they have different dining patterns. And the more we've been able to reach out to a broader part of Jackson Heights, you know, we've been able to spread the peanut butter a little more evenly over the bread. Right. So, so was there a strategy for marketing to kind of reach those those other neighborhoods? Um, well, it's it's pretty organic. Jackson Heights is a is a really well organized neighborhood. People, uh, you know, you see it during during political campaigns. There's email lists that are going around, okay. right. and neighbors having meetups, things like that. So, any sort of thing, something involving an activity at the park. Uh, something involving a church, something involving a school, people are really connected. And right. so we just tapped into those existing networks, sent out uh, emails, sent out announcements um, to sort of reach those things. And then we did a series of Jackson Heights has a lot of um, uh, pre-war co-ops that date back to the 19, uh, 1920s and 1930s. Uh, and they're the oldest co-ops in the United States. Well, some of these are an entire city block, right? And, um, and they're all throughout the neighborhood. And so we started inviting these buildings for special happy hours. So, you know, uh, my, my partner, Tony, who's the chef, he lives in Dunley Gardens, which is a huge building. And we had a Dunley Gardens happy hour. And we said, anybody from Dunley Gardens, you know, you can come on this Wednesday night and there'll be happy hour prices for you all night at the bar. And we put out snacks and we did other things. And it was just a way of introducing ourselves to people 
people in the neighborhood because in any number of these buildings we have friends right you know any number of the historic co-ops i know two or three families and i'm friends with them but there are plenty of other people in those buildings that, that moved here in different decades or, or don't okay. have children or you know i don't know them because their kids don't go to the same school as my kids and so that was a way of introducing ourselves to people and just letting them know hey we're here we're giving you an invitation please come and check us out and then you know then you're trying to make as many new friends as quickly as you can, right? And, and every time somebody comes to the door, you're trying to make a connection with them and make them feel like they have a stake in this restaurant and like they want to be part of it. And we've been pretty successful with that. Awesome. So, I mean, I like the vibe here. I think it's, I think it's absolutely amazing. Um, how important was the whole ambiance and vibe for you? Uh, opening? It, it's all important. Um, so, there were multiple things that I felt like this neighborhood needed in terms of a restaurant. And one of them was a place with sort of a modern, comfortable ambiance. Um, you know, when I first moved here 14 years ago, you could find restaurants with, with really good food. Mm -hmm. uh, but the tables tended to be set up cafeteria style and you had fluorescent lighting. And so it was, it was, it was some, somebody, so, you know, some, somebody knew what they were doing in the kitchen but it was just rows. It, yeah, I might as well have been in my high school cafeteria for all the thought that was given to the decor. Um, or there were rows of televisions all the way around that were showing something all the time, whether there was anything on or not, right? So there might be a telenovela on right. or a soccer game from two weeks ago, but there was always the television. And there wasn't a place where, you know, you could just sit and enjoy a nice meal and what, you know. In another neighborhood, this wouldn't have been a big deal, right? There's plenty of neighborhoods in Brooklyn that have lots of restaurants with an ambiance that's similar to this, uh, but that wasn't here. So that was, you know, that was a big part of the appeal. So when becoming becoming an owner, was there a stress levels for you, uh, being people's livelihoods? Um, the the stress was all about getting to the starting line. Um, so. Because of all the delays we had, we were constantly worried about when is this going to happen, when is that going to happen, and so many of them are things that we didn't have control over, and that causes a lot of anxiety, right? right? If it's something I can control, then I can get up earlier, or I can work later, or I can work smarter, and I can power through that, right? right. If, if it's just about I've got to do a certain amount of work, that's, you know, you might stress a little bit over that, but you know what the solution is. But when there's, you know, when you encounter problems, that are either out of your control or you don't have, you don't know how to solve it yet, right. that causes stress. So that's what makes you get up in the middle of the night right. and the gerbil wheel in your head is spinning around and it's squeaking a lot and it won't let you go back to sleep. So when that, when those type of situations come along, is it important to take uh, mental breaks for you from the restaurant? Um, just kind of walk away for a little bit? I haven't reached that point okay. um, where I've needed that. Um, I like being in this restaurant. I like I like showing up to work every day. I like the people I work with. Um, and I get a lot of people that ask me questions. Oh, you're working so many hours. You're burning yourself out. Right. And I'm like, you know, if you could have a 30-hour-a-week job. And if you hate it, you're going to be miserable and stressed and unhappy. And it's going to be too many hours. If you have something you enjoy doing, right? Uh, you know, if you if you like sailing, if that's how you, you get your, your enjoyment in life is you're a sailor, well... 
does it matter whether you sail 10 or 20 or 30 hours a week? Is that too much? Right. Probably not, right? right? Well, I like being here. I like talking to people. Uh, I like interacting with people in the restaurant. And so I don't find what I'm doing here stressful. What would you say is the best piece of advice you can give to someone that would want to open up their own place? There's lots of advice that people opening restaurants can and should heed or listen to. Um, I think um, just in terms of the, the thing that I see with a lot of restaurants, your concept and your location and your neighborhood all need to fit together. Um, and what I see a lot of times is someone that has a vision for the kind of restaurant they want to have, uh, but it may not fit the space that they put it into, or it may not fit the neighborhood that they want to put it into. And so you'll see um, a, a restaurant that on all sorts of fronts seems to be successful. Uh, uh, Keith McNally opened a restaurant called Lino's uh, that was on the corner of Bowery and Houston Street. It was going to be a pizzeria, and people were really excited because Keith is a brilliant restaurateur. Uh, and what's he going to do with this? And this is going to be a fun place. And it was. The place was a lot of fun, and the food was really good. Uh, but they could never make enough revenue because the combination of the location and the size of the rent and the type of restaurant it was, you just couldn't get enough revenue from a pizza restaurant to justify the rent there, right? You know, had it been a really high foot traffic place where they could have been busy at 10 in the morning and 4 in the afternoon and 11 o'clock at night, then, then it would have worked. Or if it wasn't a pizza restaurant, and so the check average was higher, and so it didn't matter that you weren't doing it, but the, it didn't, the pieces didn't fit together gotcha. to make the restaurant work financially. And so even though the service was good and the food was excellent and it was a beautiful restaurant, it didn't, like the three pieces didn't fit together. And, right. and I feel like there's a lot of people that like, you know, you chefs who have a vision of what their cuisine is, right? I'm an artist and this is my vision and so this is what I'm going to do. And then all of a sudden you've got a fancy tasting menu restaurant in a neighborhood that doesn't really have enough people that are willing to spend a hundred plus dollars a night per person on dinner and, and they're going to struggle, right? And so being able to, to sort of match those things together uh, is really important, right? If this uh, were, you know, we looked at a lot of different spaces for this restaurant and in a different space, this would have been a different restaurant. It would have had to have been. Right. Um, you know, we have 110 seats. So we needed a lot of uh, relatively low price point items on the menu to make it comfortable for people to come in night in and night out, right? That I can come in and I can get a pizza and a beer and I can be out for not very much money and that's Tuesday night, right? Now, if we were a 40-seat restaurant, well, I, we, our prices could be higher. We could be a little more fancy in the cuisine that we're doing because I wouldn't need to find as many customers willing to spend that much each night, right? right? You could, you could serve, you'd be serving a slightly different audience. So I think people don't always think that through as clearly. They're really excited about their ideas, but the match between location and neighborhood and space and how much is the rent and, and, you know, all of those different things, they have to fit together. Make sure the equation all makes sense. It's, it's yeah, it's a, it's a complicated, uh, it's both a math and a, and a, and a social question, right? It's, right. so. So, uh, also, uh, I had asked you if you happen to have any uh, funny stories for us. Sure. From your time in the industry. Um, so, uh, when I was a very young restaurant manager, one of the first places I managed was a restaurant called Savoy. Uh, 
um, very famous. Uh, it was the first farm-to-table restaurant in New York City. Uh, and um, I came in as a manager, young guy. You know, most of the waiters there were older than I was, right? They'd been around for a long time. Not, not always easy to manage in a place where most of the staff has been there longer than you and is older than you and is probably better at their job, right? The waiters all make more money than I did. Right. And they were all better waiters than I was a manager because I was still learning the game. So it can be a little hard to sort of find your way, you know, as, as you're going through that. So um, one night, waiter comes to me, they've got a problem, they've got a couple, and they've just ordered a bottle of Chateau Ken, which shouldn't be a problem, right? Chateau Ken, really expensive dessert wine. Well, the issue was this couple had bought the least expensive bottle of red wine on our list at their dinner, and now they've ordered a half bottle of dessert wine that costs five times as much as that bottle of red wine they had. And so the worry is, did, did they know what they're ordering, right? right? Did they notice that it's $150 and not $15? Right. But that's a really delicate question to ask somebody, right? Are you sure you can afford what, what you just ordered, right? That's right. not a conversation you want to have with somebody. So it's very delicate, but it's also, you don't want to, you know, surprise somebody that they thought they ordered, you know, something that's moderately priced and all of a sudden it's right. sticker shock. Uh, so I go over and I say hello to them and we're chatting a little bit. And I said, oh, I saw you ordered the Chateau Chem and I'm hemming and hawing and they see where I'm going with it. And, they, and the guy reaches out and he says, I know exactly where you're going. He said, we love Chateau Chem. This is what we splurge on. We always buy the cheapest bottle of red wine because we're going to spend our money on the dessert wine. He, he, said, you're, right. <laughs> he said, you're right to ask the question, but, but we know what we're doing. So that was, you know little relief on me. Right, okay, this exactly. had the potential to be awkward if they made it not awkward for me, which I appreciated. And they asked, well, have you had Chateau Chem before? And I never had, right? Uh, and, and so, well, we're never going to finish this bottle. You have to have a glass. And so they pour me a very generous pour of their dessert wine. And the policy at that restaurant is you didn't drink at the table right. with the guests. So I thanked them and, you know, we toasted. And then I took it into the back. It was off the floor out of the side of guests. Right. I could have a little sip. And it's kind of late in the evening. So there's not a lot left to do. So I'm, I have a taste. It's amazing. I'm blissing out. It's a great moment. And I get a tap on Michael. We need you downstairs. <sighs> okay. I go downstairs. The toilet's backed up. <laughs> not only is the toilet backed up, it's full of blood. Um, and so someone, you know, those signs that say don't flush certain things down the toilet. Well, someone, there's a reason those signs are there and this person did it anyway. And so now... I've got a choice. I can either ask um, the dishwasher, who's at least twice my age and has been there since the restaurant opened, to please go clean this disgusting mess up. And I just couldn't do it. I was like, I'm, I'm you know, I'm however old I was, 27, 28, and I'm not going to ask this 60-year-old Latino man to go clean this toilet. I'm just going to have to do it myself. And so I take a plastic bag and go barehanded down the toilet and remove the clog by hand. And, and restore order to the to the toilet universe. And to me, that's like, that's restaurant management. One second, you're drinking Chateau Chem, and the next... <laughs> Two opposite ends of the yes, spectrum. Yes, and then you've got your hand in the opposite end. Yes, exactly. So, well, Mike, thank you very much. All right. Very much. I really appreciate it. Good talking to you. Mike Fulpoy here at the Queensboro over in Jackson Heights. I'm Mike Curtin, True Brewer Stew. Thank you very much, man. Appreciate Thanks, guys. It. Hey guys, so that was the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you were able to take something away from that interview as you will with every interview. Special thanks again to Michael Fakwai of the Queensboro. 
If you're ever in Jackson Heights, make sure to stop by even if it's just for a quick beer. The vibe of this place will definitely have you wanting to come back. Every other Sunday I'll be posting a new podcast, so stay tuned and like I said, subscribe, and you'll never miss another episode. Also, don't forget those questions. If it's something you're curious about knowing, then I want to ask it. Once again, I'm Mike Curtin for Chew Brewer Stew. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.